Bless the Lord. Luke chapter 23, please. Tonight we want to speak on the man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. We'll just jump across a few verses here, please. Uh, Luke 23. Only a bit of feedback or something. Luke 23, please. Beginning to read at verse 32. Verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Let your eye run down to verse 39, please. And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth are. Let us pray. Father, we ask you now to take your word and wing it home to hearts. We thank you for what we have heard tonight, what we have sang tonight. We thank you for the music. We thank you for the gospel and song. We're leaning on the everlasting arms. We thank you, Lord, that you are everything that we need. And so, Father, we pray that you would Lord, move by your Spirit in our midst and, Lord, move in hearts to to save if they're not saved, to redeem, Lord, to restore if they're away from you, to heal if they're broken. And, O God, we pray that you would be glorified, that Christ alone would be seen and that we would realize the man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. Lord, so we pray tonight, have thine own way and move from seat to seat and from heart to heart. In the midst of your people, we ask it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three men were crucified at Calvary. Two men were guilty of their crimes. And one man was guiltless of any crime. Luke 23 and verse 40 one of the malefactors, the thieves, the robbers, or these criminals was crying to another. After one had reeled on Jesus, it said, he reeled on him. The, the word reeled here is a word blasphemio, where we get the word blaspheme. So it wasn't that he just said a few words. The idea here is that this malefactor said the worst kind of words. 
you could say to a man. He said unto the Lord Jesus. And in verse 40, one malefactor said to the other, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Now, Christ was in the same condemnation in this sense, that he was numbered with the transgressors, even as Isaiah 53 tells us, that he, the Lord Jesus, would be numbered with the transgressors and fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 53. Here on the cross, he is numbered with these transgressors. He is condemned to die. He's under the same condemnation the same crucifixion. But it was completely different what he suffered and what he went through. With eternity looming, with eternity, the great unknown and the untraveled way to the living, staring each malefactor in the face, only hours, if not minutes away, One man reeled and blasphemed, and the other man, he asked the Lord to remember him. To remember him. One thinks of himself. Save thyself and us. And the other thinks of eternity. Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. One lives for that moment. Save me now from this crucifixion, from this pain and from this death. One lives for that moment and the other in that moment he lives. He says, Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. One died without hope and the other died with a fullness of hope. For Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. One died without God and without Christ and without forgiveness of their sin, without any chance of opportunity to be saved. And the other died without works and without baptism, without paying, without giving, without alms or deeds or charity. But he died saved because he had called on the name of the Lord. While this thief gives many a loved one comfort of a deathbed repentance, take note, this is said to be the only deathbed example of a last-minute salvation in the Scriptures. It's the only one. There is only one so that no one would despair. Thank God for it. But there's only one so that no one would presume. The cross or the crucifixion, the the Latin is a crucem, and with the prefix of the axe on it, It gives the idea of an intense to the extreme excruciating pain. It's where we get from the cross or crucifixion, the crux. We get excruciating pain in our English language. The overwhelming intense pain of the cross was the thief on the left 
the thief on the right, and it was Christ in the middle. The man in the middle cross was no ordinary man. The Romans did not invent crucifixion. The Romans did not invent it, but they perfected it. They perfected it. It was the worst of the worst. And even in Hebrew law, Israelite law, it says, Cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. These three men, to the Romans, to the the Jews of the day, were cursed, cursed of God, because they hung on a cross. One died cursed. One repented from his curse. And the other one took your curse upon himself. And so we find this excruciating pain of Calvary. They were under the same condemnation in that sense. Conversion happened on a hard, rough, and rugged cross in excruciatingly painful circumstances. And listen to the words of William Barclay. He writes, Conversion seldom takes place on a soft and easy couch. Conversion seldom takes place on a soft and easy couch, meaning that there are many men because, many women because of their comforts, because their loves, because of their likes, because of their easy living. Everything's too easy. But this man was saved in excruciating pain on a rugged cross. If I told you the many people, the bedsides that I have sat in the last 20 years beside, the bedsides I have sat with them and unsaved, thinking surely if we tell them of Christ who will meet them where they are, if he meets them at the cross, and they die without Christ. They die without him. Even though they might be in excruciating pain and eternity is looming them in the face, yet they cannot see their way to the cross at Calvary. There are those who are full of their comforts in this life. And in this life for their comforts, they turn away Christ, for life is good. And they need not the Savior. There is one, there is certainly one of the most, pardon me, this is certainly one of the most remarkable conversions in the Bible. The Holy Spirit. I want you to note this. This is what it takes. The Holy Spirit in one flash of light and divine revelation showed him the reality and the truth of the man who hung on the center cross. Even in the agony, the pain, the shame and the suffering, there this man through one flash of divine inspiration seen the Christ, seen the man beside him, that the man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. And hence he cries, Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom? He calls him Lord and he proclaims him as a king. Although in the same condemnation 
although crucified in the same manner and hanging in a similar agony, this man on the center cross was just, and he was a justifier of many. This was no ordinary man who hung on the middle cross. This man was the Lamb of God. This man was the King of Kings. The malefactor saw their guilt, but he saw his own sin. He saw his own sin. He realized within himself that he needed a Savior. And hence he cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He saw their sin, but he saw their guilt, but he saw his own sin. He saw the man in the middle cross had no sin of his own. But listen, that the man on the middle cross carried imputed sin. Imputed sin. Your sin and my sin was added unto Christ. He carried it. The just, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Listen to George Williams in his commentary. He says, So the precious blood then flowing for his sins cleansed him so effectually that it made him at that moment as fit to enter paradise as Christ himself. I want, I'm going to read that again because I want you to get this. This rotten, vile, guilty, hell-deserving sinner, this malefactor, this thief, or whatever else he's done on the cross, at that moment, he's as fit to enter paradise as Christ himself. You know why? Because he was washed in the blood. Because he trusted in the Savior. Because he trusted in Christ. I'm going to read it again. So the precious blood, then flowing for his sins, cleansed him so effectually that it made him at that moment as fit to enter paradise as Christ himself. You know how sure I am of heaven? I'm so sure of heaven that because of Christ, I'm as fit now to enter heaven as Christ was himself because I'm found in Christ. Because the Lord sees me in him. I ask you tonight, would you be found in him? This nearly seems presumptuous. When I read this, and I was, I was thinking George Williams. George Williams was, a, was an old minister from Dublin in the 1800s. And I said, George Williams, are you sure? Because it seems presumptuous to say that this sinner was as fit to enter paradise as Christ himself. Then I thought of myself. Then I thought of my life. Then I thought of my testimony. Then I thought of where he found me. Then I thought of what he forgave me of. I thought of what he has done for me. I thought of his sacrifice. And then I thought of what the Father thinks of the Son, what the Father sees when the Son shed his blood and paid my debt. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Whereas fit to enter heaven because of Christ. Brothers and sisters, what a Savior. What a Savior. 
near the cross, I want you to get this. Near the cross stood John, who would be the Apostle John. Near the cross would be the Lord's mother, who was the Virgin Mary. Near the cross was her sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. And near the cross was Mary Magdalene and John's own mother, standing around the cross. All these saints standing there. The apostles standing there, ready to move into his apostleship. They're all standing around the cross. And there's the thief. And there's the Christ. And there's the thief. And all around, he could have looked at one of them who was not hanging on a cross. He could have called to one of them who could have went and done something for him. Paid an alms, a deeds, or said a prayer, or done a rosary, or whatever. But no, he turned his face away from them all to the Christ on the cross. Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He called on Christ, even though Christ was nailed to the tree. What faith is this that we see? What faith had he been given by the Holy Ghost? What faith was it that we see that a man who is in agony, who's looming eternity in his face, who's ready to be launched out without God, without Christ, and without hope in the world, when a lacking love reached him and mercy found him. And what we see is this rotten, filthy sinner of a malefactor recognizing the man on the middle cross as no ordinary man. Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But he's nailed hand and foot. Psalm 22 and verse 16, For dogs have encompassed me. The assembly of wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Prophesying of the one who would hang on the cross. The cross work of or the crucifixion perfected by the Romans. In the time of David, when he wrote that psalm, there was no, there was no nails through the feet. They just done it through the hands. And yet the Spirit of God says, they will nail his hands and his feet, perfected by the Romans. And here he is hanging on the cross. And this malefactor has the faith to look at him, who's in the same condemnation of death from the Roman gibbet. He says, will you remember me, Lord? Could have called in John or the Virgin Mary or one of the saints around the cross. But no, he looked away to the man on the middle tree. He says, Lord, remember me. Some people say I will call someday upon Jesus for salvation. I'll do it someday. Friend, I want to tell you, you can do it no day. But when the Holy Spirit comes to the heart, when the Holy Spirit speaks into the life, that's why the Scripture says today, if, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. In Luke 23 and 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom to a man dying nailed to a cross. Ask him to remember him 
And he calls him Lord and King. And that day, a thief, a criminal who was not fit to live on earth. He was put to death. A criminal, a thief, a malefactor who was not fit to live on earth was deemed fit to live with Christ in paradise. That's what you call grace. That's what you call mercy. It's not one of us are fit to live in paradise, yet God has afforded us life on earth. Not one of us are fit, but in Christ, we are all fit for the kingdom because we're washed in the blood. Belong to Christ. Here is imputed faith. Notice imputed sin to the man in the middle cross, the Lord Jesus. Here is imputed faith for him to call. And Christ gives him his righteousness, his imputed righteousness. He makes him fit for paradise. That's what happens when you get saved, you know. You call for mercy to the Lord. And he takes your sin. He's already borne it away from you. You claim it. You, you claim the merit and the efficacy of the blood of the Lamb and the finished work which He done. And there He imputes, He imputes righteousness. And when the Father looks at me and the Father looks at you, Christian, who are in Christ, He sees no sin, but He sees His Son. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ, the one on the cross. That is the middle cross. One was dying to put away sin. One of the others on the cross was dying in his sin. In his sin. And Jesus said to the Jews, you shall die in your sin. And whether I am, there ye cannot come. If you die in your sin, you'll not be where Christ is. If you die in your sin, you cannot be where Christ is. If you die in your sin, he says, whether I am, there you cannot come. One was dying to put away sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. One was dying in his sin, the malefactor who blasphemed and reeled upon the Lord. And on the other cross, one was dying to sin. Lord, remember me. I need to get rid of this sin before I leave this scene of time. When thou comest into thy kingdom. The man on the middle cross, although in the same condemnation, the man on the middle cross, although dying, The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. I want to speak for a few moments on the man on the middle cross. The Lord Jesus Christ. The man on the middle cross in 1 Peter 2 and 22 says, Who did no sin. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 it says, Who knew no sin. In 1 John 3 and 5 it says, In him is no sin. In Hebrews 4 and 15 it says, He was yet without sin. In Hebrews 7 and 26 it says, He was holy 
and harmless and undefined and separate from sinners. And of course, the thief said in Luke 23 and verse 41, but this man hath done nothing amiss. In John 14 and verse 30, Jesus said of himself, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. John 18 and 38, and in other places, thrice, three times, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in him at all. Jesus says, they'll come to me and search for the sin, but the devil will find no sin in me. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 19, it says, he is a lamb without blemish and without spot. And 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath suffered for sins the just, for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ said, No man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it again. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary Man, the man on the middle cross felt pain as the two malefactors felt pain. But the two malefactors felt nothing of the load which Christ bore the man on the middle cross. He felt pain like they felt pain. And they felt pain like he felt pain. But not one of them could bear the load that Christ was bearing away on the cross. He was the arch sufferer. He was the prince of sufferers. He's the emperor in the realm of agony. And he is the Lord paramount in sorrow. Listen to Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With the stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him. Yahweh laid on him. The Father laid on the Son. The iniquity of us all. What a load to carry. What a burden to bear. The word here hath laid on him is the word pagah. I want you to catch this. The Lord hath laid on him. Yahweh hath laid on the Son. Notice, laid as pagah means to encounter, to meet, to strike against. To encounter, to meet, to strike against. On the cross, the Father looking at the Son, the Father looking at Him, takes my sin and your sin. The penalty of the judgment, the wrath and the punishment was upon Him. And listen, it means the Father met my sin there. The Father met your sin there. And the Father, He did strike against my sin there. And he did strike against your sin there. He came and he sought the sin of me and you. 
and the penalty that was owed, but Christ bore it, and he cried, it is finished. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father would strike there, and the son drank up every drop of the father's wrath. The son drank up the fullness of the cup. That you and I might be saved. That you and I might be forgiven. That the thief on the cross might cry out to him. And be with him in paradise. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about it. Christian, I want you to rejoice in that. Think about what he's done for us. Think about what he's done for you. Think about what it means. The penalty that was paid. The sky turns black. The Father pours all the wrath that was against me and you upon him. I want you to think about it if you're not saved. I want you to think about it tonight. This is what it took to save your soul. This is what it took that you might receive forgiveness of sins. This is what it took. The son went in the river and on the mountain he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now hanging on the cross. Do you know the old psalmist got it right? How can God forsake God? But the psalmist says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Have you forsaken me, Father? There's not one other person crucified could say that. The malefactors couldn't say that. I've never heard of another one, another Savior. Muhammad didn't do that. Confucius never done that. Buddha didn't do that. None of the religions and their leaders did that. Only Christ did it. He went to the cross. Brothers and sisters, would you say praise the Lord? He's worthy, isn't he? He's worthy. In Isaiah 53 and 10 it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Notice, make a soul. This wasn't just about the flesh pain of a malefactor. This wasn't about the agonies that you see in some of these movies where, oh, it's so rough and rugged and and terrible. And it is. And it was. Physically demanding. Physically terrible. But it was his soul. It was his soul was made an offering for sin. That entered right into him and he carried my sin and he paid my debt. What did it take to save you, Cain? It took the soul of Christ and the body of Jesus to die. The blood of Jesus to be shed. 
That's what it took to save your friend. That's what it took to save us. Won't you to bear with me? I've written quite a few things down. I just want to wet my whistle because there's a lot I'm going to read out here. I was thinking about the Lord. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. And I was thinking about him and I started writing. And I wrote for two days. Well, I slept in between, but I wrote for two days. And I've condensed it to this. In John 3 and verse 2, Nicodemus said, No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. In John 7 and verse 46, those who came to arrest Jesus returned without him and said, Never man spake like this man. In Matthew 13 and 54, the Jews said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? In Mark 15 and 39, it said, the centurion said, truly this man was the son of God. In Luke 15 and verse 2, the Pharisee said of him, this man receives sinners. In John chapter 11 and verse 47, it says, this man doeth many miracles. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, for this man was counted more worthy of glory than Moses. And Hebrews 10 and verse 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. <laughs> Notice, one sacrifice forever. He sat down on the right hand of God. The man in the middle cross is no ordinary man. Stay with me. He is the Son of God. And he is the son of man. He is deity clothed in humanity. As to his divinity, he is eternal. As to his humanity, he was born in Bethlehem. He is the ancient of days, yet he lived as a man. In Revelation 1 and 8, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. John in his gospel, John 1 verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in verse 14 of the chapter says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. Listen, Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. To him, to Christ, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Listen, to him give all the prophets witness. They all pointed to him. They all spoke of him coming. For example, in Genesis, he is the creator God. In Exodus, he is the Redeemer of Israel. In Leviticus, he is our sanctification. And in Numbers, he's our God and our guide. In Deuteronomy, he is known as the teacher. 
In Joshua, he is the mighty conqueror. In Judges, he is the victory for all, of, over our enemies. In the book of Ruth, he is our kinsman. In First and Second Samuel, he is the trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, he is the king. In the book of Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the wall of defense. In Esther, he is the one who stands in the gap. In the book of Job, he is the one who understands our struggles and our strifes. In the Psalms, he is the Lord who is our shepherd, yet he is the Lamb of God and the King who would enter in the gates. And in the Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our song of knowledge. And in the Song of Solomon, he's our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In the book of Ezekiel, he's the visions of God. In Daniel, he is the ancient of days. In Hosea, he is our faithful husband. In Joel, he's the refuge and he's our safekeeper. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great preparer. In Micah, he's a judge of the nations. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, He's God's evangelist. And Zephaniah, he's our divine savior. And Haggai, he's the overthrower of our enemies. And Zechariah, he's the Lord of hosts. And Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. You see, in Revelation 19 and verse 10, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All the prophets spoke of him. All the prophets gave witness to the one that was to come. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. Listen, in Matthew, he is the king whose lineage goes back to Abraham. In Mark, he is the servant whose lineage goes back to Jordan. In Luke, he is the son of man whose lineage goes back to Adam. And in John, he is the son of God. And he is the word who was with God in eternity. In the book of Acts, he's a baptizer in the Holy Ghost. In the book of Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's a sanctifier of his church. In the book of Galatians, he's our liberty. In Ephesians, he's the one and only head of the church. In Philippians, he's our joy. In Colossians, he's our completeness. In 1 Thessalonians, he's our hope. And in 2 Thessalonians, he's our glory. In 1 Timothy, he's our faith. In 2 Timothy, he's our stability in an unstable world, an unstable life. In the book of Titus, he's God's mercy upon us. In Philemon, he's our benefactor. In Hebrews, he's our perfection. He's our Melchizedek, our great high priest. In James, he's the sore, the husbandman, and the faithful, patient in and gatherer. In 1 Peter, he's our great example. In 2 Peter, he's our purity. In 1 John, he's our life, our light, our love, and our advocate. In 2 John, he's our perfection, and he's our pattern. In 3 John, he's our motivation. And in Jude, he's the foundation of our faith and the riser of the church to faith. In Revelation, we see him as a lamb on the throne. In Revelation, he's the one and only found worthy. In Revelation, he's the faithful witness. 
In Revelation, he's the first begotten of the dead, the one who is alive to die no more. In the book of Revelation, he's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the amen. In the book of Revelation, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. In the book of Revelation, he's called Lord. He's called Lord and he's called Christ. He's called the man-child. He's a king of saints and he's a king of kings. He's a faithful and true witness. He's the word of God, the Lord of lords, and he is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the possessor of the keys of death and of hell. He's a possessor of the seven stars. He walks among the seven golden candlesticks. He holds a sharp sword and he speaks it from the words of his mouth. He's a rewarder of the overcomer. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. He's a possessor of the keys of David. He's a maker of kings and priests. He's a husband of the bride and he's a soon coming king. Praise the Lord, church. Will you Praise the Lord. He's worthy. We're not done yet. He is Yahweh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. He is Jehovah Nisseh, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. He is Jehovah Makadeshkim, the Lord our sanctifier. He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is Jehovah Rophe, the Lord our shepherd. And Jehovah Nosinu, the Lord our maker. He's the Lord Jehovah Sekenu, the Lord our righteousness. And he's Jehovah Shama, the Lord is present. He's the Lord and he changes not. With him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He's a father to the orphan. He's a seeker of the lost. He's a husband to the widow. He's a companion to the lonely. He's a friend that sticketh closer than the brother. He reaches the unreachable, loves the unlovable, saves the unsavable, restores the unrestorable, cleanses the uncleansable, and he redeems the unredeemable. He forgives the unforgivable. He pardons the unpardonable. He changes the unchangeable. And still, he is the savior of the soul. He is the healer of the body. He's a baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And he's a soon coming king. We believe in the full or daddy of Christ. We believe in his blessed divinity. We believe in his true and full humanity. We believe in his virgin birth. We believe in his sinless life. We believe in his miraculous ministry. We believe in his atoning work at Calvary. We believe it is finished. Once and for all, never to be repeated again. We believe in the power of the blood of the Lamb. We believe it. We believe it, church. We believe it. We believe that he, was, that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. We believe in his glorious ascension into heaven. We believe in his high priestly ministry. We believe he's sitting at the right hand of glory. We believe that there's a man in the glory praying for us, our intercessor, our advocate, our mediator. We believe Christ is coming, and we believe he's coming soon. Brothers and sisters, the man on the center cross, he's no ordinary man. Did you hear it? The man on the center cross, he's no ordinary man. He is... He is deity, clothed in humanity, 
the Savior to all who will call upon his name and be saved. What a Christ. What a Christ. I'm getting excited. Do you know why I get excited? Because I know where I was when he found me. I know where I was when he saved me. I know where I was when he lifted me. I know where I was in the depths that I was in. He got into the pit. He had brought me up also out of a horrible pit. And from the merry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. And he's established my goings. Put a new song in my mouth. I had the song of the drunkard. And the song of the addict. I had all different songs in my mouth. But know what I'm singing now? I'm singing the praises of Christ. Of a new song. The song of the redeemed. Fairest. Of all the earth beside, chiefest of all unto thy bride, fullness divine in thee I see, wonderful man of Calvary, that man of Calvary has won my heart for me and died to set me free. Comfort of all my earthly way, Jesus, I'll meet thee some sweet day. Center of glory, thee I see. Wonderful man of Calvary. That man of Calvary has won my heart for me. And I to set me free. man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. He's the lover of my soul. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. He's the chiefest among any 10,000 to me. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man. He is my life. He's my life. I want to close with this. The man on the middle cross is no ordinary man, and is it any wonder the malefactor cries out to him? It has to be the Holy Ghost that wakened him. Why him and not the other? I leave that with God in his own divine election. Lord, rememberest thou me? And thou comest into thy kingdom. You see, in John 16 and 14, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And there's this man, deserving, he says, we're getting what we deserve, but this man, we're getting what we deserve. You know, what if we got what we deserved? What if we got what we deserved? Where would we be? Lost. On the broad road to destruction. Headed for a devil's hell. But the Holy Ghost came. And for some reason, 
I don't know why, but God chose me. I rejoice in that because I would never have chosen him. But he chose me and he chose you. The Holy Spirit comes and he receives of the Son and he shows it unto me and unto you. Takes the glories of Christ, takes the things of the cross, and he shows it unto us. He presents the Lamb. The Holy Spirit presents the Lamb and glorifies the Lamb. My feeble effort tonight. My feeble effort could be more perspiration than inspiration. But my feeble effort is to glorify the Lamb. To lift up the Son as the Spirit gives me ability to lift Him up. To talk of the glories of Christ. Without him, we could do nothing. Without him, we're lost. We're in our sin. Team, would you come up? I'm going to ask the team to do me a favor.